This is OTR Rob, welcoming you to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and the Black of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And uh, this episode is entitled Little Wishbone. From the opening of the show, it sounds like that Philip Marlowe is talking about chickens. I didn't think being a private detective was that bad. <laughs> where you take a case that has to do with chickens. But anyway, and that episode is from 1949, December 10th. After that, it's Mr. and Mrs. Norrit from January 17th, 1945, Times Square Murder. You know, I don't listen to all these episodes, but I usually kind of go back after a time and listen to them because I, I like the shows as much as I like presenting the shows to you. So I'm a fan of old-time radio, big time. I just thought I would bring that up. Anyway, and Michael Shane from July 15th, 1948, the case of Anthony Carell. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, and the creeks don't rise. Be safe. Please be safe. It is still winter. Get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with laughter on a bright morning in a battle over a chicken, and got better as it went along. It could have lasted a lifetime, but it didn't. It stopped on a gray morning with a little wishbone broken. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Little Wishbone. Sometimes the sun doesn't shine at 9 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes everything's just gray. The sky, the buildings, the streets. The faces going by, gray in a man's mind. And when I parked in front of the politely landscaped Seco Square on Sunset Boulevard and got out of my car, I knew that this was just such a morning. And that was right as it should be, because what I had to tell her, what had to be said, belonged in gray to the chilling half-light that leaves everything and everybody something less than real. To the half-light that... Maybe a moment before birth. Maybe a moment after death. Yes, sir? I'd like to see Miss Jones. Miss Cordelia Jones, please. I called. My name is Philip Marlowe. Oh, oh yes, Mr. Marlowe. I'm Mr. Early. Come in, please. I, um... The police told me what happened, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks. May I see you now, please? Yes, of course. It's the last door down on the right-hand side. Uh, this way, Mr. Marlowe. Oh! <laughs> 
Walter Gray. And that fit, too, with the morning and with what I had to tell Miss Cordelia Jones. But, well, it didn't fit with another morning. Three weeks ago. The morning that was bright inside and out. And it didn't fit with Jonesy. <laughs> oh, not Jonesy. The stranger in the butcher shop. The customer with the enchanting green-gray eyes. The girl who wanted the same sewing chicken I did. And in no uncertain terms. Oh, look at that. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, look at that. Possession. Nice, nice sense of the law. And that young lady is just what I'm holding. Namely, one wing, one neck, both legs. Give me that. No, I got here first. Oh, no, you didn't miss the marble. Ah, but neither did you, Miss Jones. Ah, it was a tie. A photograph finish. Now, who really needs this scorning little girl the most? Me. Yeah, I'm the one who needs... We're not all talking together. Now, you first, Miss Jones. I, I, I'll be the judge. No, Fair enough, Mr. Schwartz. Your Honor, early this morning I was inspired. Yeah. I woke up thinking about chicken cacciatore. Chicken cacciatore? What do you think I was thinking oh, about? I was thinking about... Oh, no interruptions now. Now, young lady, you woke up thinking about chicken cacciatore. Go ahead, my Well, I think... For chicken cacciatore, you need chicken. And since I cook for one, I need a small chicken and the testimony. Aha. Uh-huh. And you, Mr. Marlowe? The same, Judge. Honest to goodness. For inspiration, do I also cook for one? Come in. Is not even spoken for. You? Uh-uh. Oh, good. Then that does it. Right, that's right. Solves the problem. Tonight, you have dinner together. Oh, no, we couldn't. We don't even know each other. Why, this Mr. What's your name again? Marlowe, Phil Marlowe. What's yours? Don't you, don't you? Uh, but don't dare use the first part I answered it. Oh, dear. Yeah, now you know each other. Well, that's me. Jonesy? Oh, no, I... It's the 100 North Carolina. 8 o'clock. Don't be late, and send the bird out. Thank you, Mr. Ford. Bye, bye. 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 Mr. Marlowe. Uh, yes, Mr. Schwartz. You can put the chicken down now. You're the only ones in the shop. Well, that's the way it started. And it had gone along at about the same steps from the chicken cacciatore, which was the best I'd ever eaten. But only because I could look at the lovely chef while I ate it. That's a wonderfully gabby evening that I didn't want to see end. But end it did. The lunch the next day and the day after. Oh, yeah, Jonesy was something all right. By profession, an artist around the edges. She painted beer cans for light for an ad agency downtown. So her place on Sheremoya was half studio, half apartment, and all cozy. You know the kind of cozy that makes you want to curl up the second you walk in? <laughs> Always makes you hate to leave. But leave you did because Jonesy liked to go places. Jonesy liked to do things. Liked to play miniature golf and badminton and, uh, of course, bowling every Wednesday night. Okay. Marlo on the front it is, but the lady still has one car left. All right, let's see it. Gentlemen, before we start through the observatory proper, and tonight's reciting just for the moon. Oh, the ball is just a double-crossing deal. Yes, sir. The ball is just a double-crossing deal. You're talking about you. You, you, you call my office. Who's here tonight, you say? Let's just look at the moon. Yes, I tell you. You bet I expected Mulholland Drive. Yeah, park car and all. Oh, come on, Jonesy. We can still get out of here. You. Oh, 
Have you two quite finished your little chat? Oh, <laughs> quite. I, uh... Oh, yes, Clyde. We'll be very quiet, we promise.
the way home, I floundered someplace between pouting poor Marlowe. The girl he goes for keeps secrets from him. And plain male pride. Goodbye, Jonesy. You'll live your life and I'll live mine. But by the next morning, I told myself on a switch. Some things just weren't my business. I wasn't a private detective where Jonesy was concerned. It would all work itself out. Life would go on. And it did. Breakfast was wonderful. Broiled grapefruit and food. And the ride to what turned out to be Santa Barbara, perfect. So in the days that followed, no more was said about it. and Nothing unusual happened. Until the following Friday night, that was the night before last, we were at a square dance at a local Daughters of Something or Other Lodge. The exercise would do me good, she said, and I was learning in a hurry. I thought. once more at a studio apartment. All I found out was that she never returned. 
down for once the Pacific surf looked cold and hostile. And the dreary desolation that hits all beach resorts out of season it settled on Laguna like a sick hangover. I finally found the intersection of third note. With two sleepy drugstores, a tying bar, and a pottery stand closed for the winter. Nothing else. The only sign of life was a black-sweated old man on a bench, whittling listlessly at a piece of gnarled gray driftwood that matched his hands to perfection. It looked as though he'd been there for 20 years. So I decided to give him a try. What's that you say, you know, fella? I said things are pretty dull around here, huh, Pop? <laughs> I don't know. Generally, somewhere or something happening. People come, people go. Like you... They've all got things on their minds. Uh-huh. They ought to come and go more often, Pop. We'll take the dead corner, huh? Dead? Well, I don't know about that. Now. Seems like this corner gets a good share of life. Oh? I'll bet you nothing's happened on this corner in the last six months worth talking about. You're wrong, son. It's run the gamut. For instance, last August, a baby was born over in front of the drugstore there in a taxi. Mrs. Wright, Gail Wright it was. Uh-huh. Old Cy Lemley, the druggist, delivered Fine job, too, an eight-pound boy. And, uh, on the other end of life? Yes, that, too. A fellow named Peters. He was a kind of belated war casualty, you might say. How do you mean? Well, he went through the First World War without a scratch, and then he got himself killed by a hit-and-run driver right over there in front of the tavern, and it happened just a month ago. Oh, no, I'm just Hit-and-run. A man dead. Yes, yeah, about two o'clock in the morning, they say. To this day, they haven't caught up with a driver. Say, what's the matter, sir? You're white as a sheep. I felt like I'd been hit hard below the belt. I don't remember what I told the old man. All I could think of was Jonesy on Armistice Day. A hit-and-run death and a slimy maggot breaking a wishbone charm between fat fingers. But my next step was mechanical. I started checking rooming houses that catered strictly to artists, and the third one paid off. More than I expected. Cordelia. Yes, I remember Cordelia. Come in. Thanks. And she did have a room here, Mrs. Winkle. Yes, she did. Now, what was it about Cordelia, Mr. Marlowe? Well, I am a friend of hers, Mrs. Winkle, a good friend. I'm trying to locate her. I see. Well, Cordelia left quite suddenly in the middle of the night, Mr. Marlowe. Left a half-finished canvas behind, too. Beautiful thing. Yes, sometimes artists have to spread their wings and fly. Even in the middle of the night? Ah, yes. I used to myself when I was younger, heaven knows. Tell me, Mr. Marlowe, is anything wrong about Cordelia? Why do you ask that, Mrs. Winkle? Because the morning after she left, it was the armistice day, I think. A man came here asking about her. A fat man. Did you know him? No. And from what I read in his face, I don't think I'd like him. Look. Mrs. Winkle, i got to find out all I can about that guy right away. He means trouble for Jonesy, uh, Cordelia. You see, she... Well, what I mean is... Don't that... bother explaining. I think I understand. As it turned out, this fellow used the telephone while he was here. His name is, uh... Oh, let me see now. Uh, Orland, uh... Something weak and sniveling like this. Begley. That's it. Orland Begley. He made a reservation at the Beekman Plaza Hotel in Hollywood. Begley. Beekman Plaza, huh? Okay, now look, did you tell him anything about Jonesy leaving like she did? Oh, goodness, no. I said she planned on leaving. Uh. I even told him what we had for breakfast. He just smiled. Then he went away. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mrs. Winkle. Thanks a lot. Good luck, Mr. Marlowe. Good luck, she said. 
Jonesy had coming was burned out on a street corner at two o'clock in the morning a month ago. But we still had a chance. If I could only talk to Jonesy. All the way back to L.A., I worried because... For that, I had to find her first. I was halfway down the hall to my apartment when I heard it. My phone. I ran to the door and practically ripped it off the hinges before it stopped ringing. Hello? Hello, darling. Jonesy! Jonesy, where are you? Oh, that doesn't matter. I just called to say goodbye to her. I couldn't leave without that. Now, look, you're not going anyplace. You're going to sit tight right where you are till I get there. No, it's no use, Phil. I'm in a bad jam. I should have told you all about it long ago, but... Well, it's too late now. It's not too late, baby. I just got back from Laguna. Honey, I know all about it. Look, look, you're in love with a good private eye, you remember? Oh, run, baby, that's not the answer. There isn't any answer, Phil. There never was, Phil. Jonesy, please, will you shut up and listen to me for a minute? I can't, Phil. I've thought it all over. My mind's made up. So I'm going to have to get out of this mess in my own way. Honey, we've got to talk. Come on, where are you? Please, Phil. Please, can't you see I'm having an awful tough time with this pitch as it is? Jonesy, baby, look. Don't make it tougher on me. I'm sorry for it, Phil, but... Thanks for the buggy ride, Mr. Swell, while it lasted. Baby, you can't run. Don't try it. I know that, but I... Goodbye, Phil. Okay, Jonesy. We'll make it the hard way. Since I couldn't stop Jonesy from running, I figured I could at least stop the guy who was chasing her. I called the Beekman Plaza and found out that Alden Begley was still registered. I got in my car and started for the hotel, but then I got another idea. There was a good chance that a sleazy, blackmailing crumb like Beggy carried a record of his own. Anyway, it was worth a try and would pay off better now than a beating. So I went to police headquarters instead where Detective Lieutenant Matthews was his old sympathetic self as usual. So, you got some citizen all staked out and now you want to find out if he's a crook, huh, Marlon? What is this, something new in crime detection? Now, look, Matthews, I'll come down some quiet Tuesday and we'll make all the jokes all afternoon. But right now... Now, wait a minute. If you're going to dip into police files, I would like to know a little bit more about it, huh? No joke. All right, the guy goes by the name of Alden Begley. Fat, dark, 6'1", about 40. Could be anything from a badger to a bum check artist. Right now, he's shooting an angle that includes me. So I find him in the files. I want an exclusive on him for ten minutes. Then he's all yours. Yeah? And what's the hook? Why are you included? Because of a brunette named Jones. Jones, sir. Yes, Jones. I'd like to make it Marlowe someday. Don't fool, Matthews. This time I'm serious. Okay, Phil. Okay, help yourself. You'll find about 3,000 fat guys in there. You know, 2,000 of them with dark hair. Go ahead and start. I'll send in one of the clerks to give you a hand. Matthews' guess was close. But with the clerk's help and hard work, we narrowed the field down to a few hundred cars and started through. Streetlights have been on outside for an hour before we finally found it. Forty pounds lighter and sporting a mustache, but there was no doubt about it. James Orland, alias Jim Orlow, alias Orland Biglow, was now Orland Begley, with charges that ran from petty thievery in Louisiana to one that even got Matthews on the ball. Begley was wanted for murder in Rhode Island. What are we waiting for, Marlo? Let's go get him. When we piled into the squad car and headed up Sunset Boulevard, I began to feel good again. For the first time, Jonesy had run away at the square dance. When we turned up Whitley, Matthews cut the siren and two blocks above the boulevard, we stopped. Around the corner from the Beachman Plaza. It was a two-story frame hotel held together by countless coats of cheap paint only. And inside a line of empty sweet air bottles said it took something more than ordinary ventilation to keep the musty smell from getting thick enough to chew. The jittery night clerk managed to tell us that Bagley had room 212 and left his mouth hanging open while Matthews sent him outside. Marlowe. 
You mentioned ten minutes alone with him. You still want it? Yeah. It's important to me, Matthews. Okay. Somebody's got to go up and get him. Might as well be you. Look, the boys will cover his window from outside and both ends of the hall from the landing. If it gets tight, just whistle and duck. Go ahead. Went upstairs to the second floor where the only light was a red moon at the far end of the hall marked fire exit. Just then, midway down, I saw a figure backing out of the door. A fat figure was having trouble with a lock. He turned and three fast steps toward me before he realized I was there. It was all in Begley. When he saw me, he stopped and began slowly backing up. You there? What do you want? What, what are you doing here? Where is she, Begley? I, I don't know. She went out, I guess. It's all off, anyway. I, I got through with it. I, I changed my mind. Sure you did. Come here, you! You lousy, murdering pig, Begley! Get out! How did you know that? How did you find out? Police files, bulletin from Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm hard. I had to have dough. That's the only reason I tried to shake the kid down. Hey, but listen, uh, you got me now, so let's make a deal. I'll keep my app shut. Not one word about that hit and run. You let me out of here. Bad chance, you slimy oh, brother. Okay, sucker. I've killed him more than once, but you won't stop me. Jonesy Matthews, I gotta talk to her. Nothing. Thanks. Thank you. 
Midwest Mortuary. Mr. Early is speaking. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Bill Johnstone, Jane Morgan, John Daner, Edgar Barrier, and Ann Morrison. The square dance was called by Paul Pierce. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard O'Ron. Be sure to be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a tobacco-chewing engineer, a redhead running a bulldozer and a leprechaun on a drag line... All added up to death at an unfinished trestle. And there could have been more. But then I found out which one had actually submitted the lowest bid. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Gerald Moore, comes to you every Saturday evening at this same time, transcribed. again. Mr. and Mrs. North are on the scene. Yes, the two turtle doves of crime are on the loose again with their usual unpredictable results. The whole thing starts when Jerry North promises to meet Frisby Clisby, the mystery writer on the street corner at Times Square during the rush hour. He should have known that anyone with a name like that could only mean trouble, but be that as it may, he and Pam find themselves bucking this Times Square crowd as they wait for Frisbee. Oh, Jerry, I wish people would stop pushing and shoving. You can't expect miracles, darling. Only everybody would stand right where they are until everybody else got out of the way. Somehow, I'm afraid that wouldn't work. Total strangers walking all over my feet, kicking me in the shin. Well, what's that got to do with it? Darling, my feet are being squashed to a pulp. I meant the total strangers. Would your feet feel any better if acquaintances were stepping on them? Well, at least there wouldn't be so many. Uh, there are more people I don't know than I do know. Oh. 
Well, anyway, it's... Oh, here comes Frisbee. Oh, thank heavens. Now maybe we can get get away from here. Hello, Pam. Hello, Jerry. Hey, you're late, Frisbee. Uh, Time fooey. I should allow myself to be browbeaten by a watch, a mere mechanical gadget. Okay, Uh Frisbee. Anyway, come on now. Let's get out of this crowd. Why? What's wrong with the crowd? It's too crowded. Another illusion shattered. What's that? I thought you Norse loved your fellow man. We do. But we don't like him walking all over our Sorry, but the crowd is part of my plan. What plan? Jerry, my boy, I'm going to prove to you that when I write a murder, it's murder. Hmm? You said Snorty couldn't get away with it. I don't think he could. Who's Snorty? A character in my book commits a murder, a beautiful murder in a crowd. In a crowd? Mm-hmm. But wouldn't somebody notice? That's just the point. Not, not if there was a distraction. Not if there was a distraction. Sorry, Frisbee, I still don't believe it. I'll take the story, but you've got to change that scene. I'll starve first. Huh? Okay, so I wouldn't starve. He's got me there, Pam. I like to eat too much. Ah, me. Selling my soul for a bowl of soup. It's uh, filet mignon, brother, and you know it. Well, anyway, the principle's the same, or the lack of principle. But I won't have you murdering my murders. After all, there's a limit to what an artist will tolerate. I'm sorry, Frisbee. I just can't believe that. Now, look, 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 look. You believe this is a crowd, don't you? Definitely. Well, if I were to kill somebody right here, right now, in front of all these people, and nobody noticed... But, Frisbee... Then, would you take that scene, Jerry? Oh, stop it, fellow. What's the use of... Would you? Would you? Well, naturally, but... Okay, that's all I wanted to know. Frisbee! You don't really mean that you really... Why don't you look where you're going? Well, as a matter of fact, I wasn't going anywhere. I was just standing here. Oh, a wise guy, huh? Hardly. Now, look, stranger, why don't you run along and leave me alone? Oh, you want to get rid of me, huh? I suppose I ain't good enough to talk to you. Okay, okay. Hang around if it'll make you happy. Now, what were you saying, Christine? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I ain't true with you yet. Oh, sorry. Huh? I said I'm sorry. What kind of a way to talk is that? What do you mean? Don't you know you've been insulted? I hadn't noticed. Gee, Mr. Clisby, I don't know what to do with him. He don't want to fight. A socket. Huh? Go on, socket. Why, Frisbee? Well, what are you waiting for, Punchy? I can't suck a guy unless he makes me mad. Thank you, Punchy. You so great delicacy of feeling. Why, you? Oh, what's the matter now? Delicate, am I? Kick that. Oh. I'll show you who's delicate, you dirty rat. Oh. Hey, you knocked me down. So I did. Hey, maybe I am delicate. Or maybe I'm not. Well, did you see me do it? Did you see me do it? Do what? For the murder. What are you talking about? Come here. What is it? Look, in that doorway. See that fellow lying on the steps? Oh, Frisbee. Looks just like a drunk, doesn't it? Huh? Wait a minute, wait a minute. That ain't no drunk. Ah, uh, you keep out of this. I seen what I seen with my own two eyes, I did. I was standing right here on this spot. Uh, what's your name, sir? Me? Yeah. Gerald North. I'm pleased to meet you, Mr. North. My name's Willis, Cuthbert Willis. And I'm prepared to testify I am. I ain't afraid. He can't intimidate me. He can't. What are you talking about? Your friend here. Yeah, I seen him. Here's your friend, ain't he? Yes. Well, so just goes to show you ought to be more careful what kind of friends you choose. I seen what he did. I give up. I positively give up. Well, I should hope so. I still say it would have worked, Jerry, if only Punchy had put up any kind of a fight. Are you referring to me, Mr. Gliss? Yes, Punchy, I am. Why did you let him knock you down so fast? If you'd only created a real disturbance, nobody would have noticed me. Oh, gee, I'm sorry, Mr. Clisby. I'm afraid it's like this fella says. I have great delicacy of feelings. And I guess tonight I was feeling extra delicate. Oh, it spoiled my fuse. You stabbed him, you did. I saw it with a knife. Frisbee, you didn't. Not really. Oh, no, of course. Come on, bud, get up. How can he get up? You killed him. Nonsense. Do I look like a lunatic? Okay, so looks are only skin deep. Now, look, Jerry, I, I wouldn't really kill a guy just to prove a point. Oh, thank heavens for that. But I did go through the motions. And no one would have noticed either if Punchy hadn't been feeling so blame delicate. Come on, bud, get up. Get, bud. Wait a minute, Frisbee. 
This fellow's not going to get up. What do you mean? I mean, this fellow's really been stabbed. He's dead. New York homicide? I'd like to speak to Lieutenant Wigan, please. Okay. Hello, Bill. Cam and I have... What's that? Yes, there's been a murder. Okay, Bill, relax. After all, you don't think we enjoy finding bodies, do you? Right in the doorway of the Kramer building. I'm calling from the drugstore next door. Okay, we'll wait. So long. Sam. Bill's coming right over. Oh, good. Now, where's Frisbee? I want to ask Mr. him. But no, he's getting away, he is. What? The murderer. He's getting in the cab. He's going to escape. That's right. Look, Jerry, there's Frisbee getting in a cab in front of the store. Yeah, come on. Frisbee, wait a minute. Idiot. He's only going to make things worse. Come on, Pam, we've got to catch him. But the taxi's turned the corner already, Jerry. We'll never be able to catch never him. Never mind that. I think I know where he's gone. Are you a mind reader? No, darling, a script reader. And it's taught me what goes on in what Frisbee uses for a mind. Well, Pam, here's the elevator. Get in. All right, Jerry. Uh, push the button for the fifth floor, please. Yes. And uh, now, will you please tell me why we came here? Because, according to the papers on the dead man, this is where he lived. But what makes you think that Frisbee will be here? <laughs> because, darling, I've published Frisbee's books for years. Oh. <laughs> and you accuse me of talking in circles. It's really simple, sweetheart. In every one of Frisbee's stories, the first place the hero goes in checking up on a murder is to the victim's apartment looking for clues. And you think Frisbee is living the path now? Well, it's worth a chance. Uh, let's see, five C. There it is, darling, right across the hall. Okay, come on. And uh, do his heroes have any special ways of getting into apartments that don't belong to them? Mm-hmm. They usually pick the locks. Oh, let's see if it works. Well? Yep, it's open. Come on. I don't see him. Maybe it's in the other room. Frisbee! Golly, Jerry. What is it? Suppose the person who picked that lock wasn't Frisbee. Then, sweetheart, we are definitely sticking our necks out. That wouldn't be the first time. Somebody's been here. Look at the papers all over that desk. Yeah. Let's see what they... Wait a minute. What is it, darling? Look, alongside the desk. <gasps> oh, gollies. Feet. Yeah. Where there are feet, there's usually a body. Let's see. Yes, there is. Uh-oh. It's Frisbee. Oh, Jerry. Jerry. Is he... Is he... Wait a minute. Oh, it's all right, Pam. He's breathing. Oh, thank heaven. Frisbee, are you all right? Oh, uh, oh Pam, Jerry. Well, what oh. are you doing here? How'd you find me? How, how'd you know where I was? Jerry read it in the book. Huh? Oh, my head. Ooh, how did they do it? Do what? Get it through the door. Your head? 
Snow, the General Grant. What the devil are you talking about? The tank. I was hit by a tank, a General Grant. <laughs> Frisbee, aren't you exaggerating? Oh, well, perhaps slightly. Do you think you'll be all right, Frisbee? Well, I'll never be the same. Oh, well, maybe it'll be an improvement. Did you catch her? Huh? Who? Shirley Anderson. No, I see you didn't. Who's Shirley Anderson? The dead man's fiancée. Pardon, ex-fiancée. Well, why should we have caught her? Was she here? Well, she must have been. Did you see her? No, but she'd be the only one who wanted the letter. What letter? When I came here, I found a letter from Shirley to Bud, breaking off their engagement. Seems they had a fight. Well, where is the letter? Well, I had it in my hand, then everything went black. Oh, so Shirley Anderson was General Grant. Well, she must have been. Oh, my head. I know that girl has a... She's a lot stronger than she looks, or I'm getting soft-headed. And, uh, uh, Jerry, who are you calling? I want to see if I can get hold of Bill Wagon. Okay, but don't tell him I'm here. Oh, Bill won't hurt you, Frisbee. Oh, the police are fools. They lock me up and try to sweat a confession out of me. I've got to solve this crime before they catch me. Oh, cut the dramatic. I know what I'm talking about. Sure, it happens in every book you write. But Bill isn't like that. You're just making matters worse by running away. But, Jerry, I didn't kill Bud, and I... I'm sure you did, but... Oh, wait a minute. Hello, Green Drugstore? Well, I wonder if you do me a favor. Will you please go next door to the Kramer building and give a message to Lieutenant Wigand of the New York Homicide Squad? Yes, I think you'll find him there. Just tell him that Jerry called and say that he and Pam are at Bud Barnes' apartment. It's 5C in the Sylvester James apartments. That's right. Thank you very much. Jerry, let's face it. Let's face what, Chrissy? Look, I am a genius. Well... And a genius has no business sitting on the floor holding his head. There's a crime to be solved, and I'm the man to solve it. Well, when Bill gets here... I can't wait for Bill. Time is of the essence. First, we must array our facts. Okay, array away. Well, number one... Whoever killed Bud must be someone who knew of your plan to put on an act for Jerry with Bud. Ah, check. But that gets us nowhere too fast, on account of there are too many... Bud and I decided on the act at a party last night at which there were guests, more guests, and assorted sundries. I see. So, we have to find something more specific. Uh, check? Uh, check. Punchy is out. He knows from nothing, even less. Uh, check? Uh, check. Well, uh, let's see. There's, uh, Harvey Hollis. Harvey Hollis? Yeah. Used to be in love with Shirley. Maybe still is. So he could have killed Bud to get Shirley Anderson for himself... Not knowing they'd had a fight. That's it. But I doubt it. However, I can't overlook any possibilities. But my money is still on... Miss Anderson herself? Definitely. Had a fight with Bud. She was at the party. So, motive, knowledge, all she needed was the opportunity. Uh, check? Uh, check. <sighs> then what are we waiting for? Bill. Waste the time. The time is... I know, I know. Of the essence. That wouldn't be running away. You'd be with me. And you could call Bill from Shirley's. He could meet us there. Well... Jerry... I am not one to be framed for murder and take it lying down. To say nothing about a conk on the noggin. Which you did take, lying down. Well, I must have satisfaction. It's up to me to crack this case. I think he's right, Jerry. Come on, let's go to Miss Anderson's with him. Well... You said that before. Come on, Pam, let you and me go. Jerry can join us if he wants to. Now, wait a minute. But time is of the essence. Okay, okay, come on, let's go. <laughs> Hello, Shirley. I want you to meet Mr. and Mrs. North. Oh, how too, too exciting. I've heard so much about you and everything. How did it go? What? 
Yes, you and Bud Frisby. Oh, did it work? It must be too, too exciting to work out a perfect crime. I'd love to do it. Except that if you did, really, I mean, how would anyone know? And if they didn't, what fun would it be? Oh, come on in. Thanks. Stuart here, Frisby. You know him, Stuart Payne. He was at the party last night. Yes. Oh, Dude, look who's here. Oh, hello there, Clisby. Hello. Dude, this is Mr. and Mrs. North. You know, the Mr. and Mrs. North. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? Oh, Clisby, you haven't told me. Did you fool Mr. North? I am simply bursting. You didn't mind, did you, Mr. North? I think it was such a cute idea. Quake, that's the word for it. Did you, Clisby? Shirley, somebody killed Bud. I know, you did. I, I mean, really. I beg your pardon? I pretended to kill him and pushed him into a doorway. Somebody must have been hiding in there and really killed him. What? That's impossible. Why is it impossible, Mr. King? Well, I mean, why would anyone want I don't know, but somebody did. Mom always wanted me to be an actress, but I was never any good, even though my profile does look something like Catherine Hepburn. Well, I suppose I'll be suspected, won't I? Because you look like Catherine Hepburn? Because I can't act like Catherine Hepburn. Oh, oh just think what Bernhardt would have done with a moment like this. I'll bet Davis. I think she's terrific, don't you? Simply terrific. Aren't we somehow getting away from the point, Miss Anderson? Oh, no, not at all, Mr. North. My lover has just been killed. At least he's supposed to be my lover. If I could make it with the hysterics and stuff, you'd all be pitying me and sniffling and saying, there, there, poor little girl. <clears throat> I see. Shirley, you hated Bud, didn't you? No, Frisbee, but I do think that he was a thinker, if you'll pardon my saying so. She's upset. She doesn't realize what she's saying. I think she does. In fact, I know she does. She loved Bud. Why should uh -huh, she have wanted Bud? He done her dirt, ditched her, and hell hath no fury, etc., etc. Et That's not so. Bud and Shirley are... are all washed up, Sue. Let's face it. Shirley, you didn't kill Bud. Of course not, silly. Well, then why keep on saying things like They that? happen to be the truth. Mr. North. Yes? I killed Bud. Sue, you didn't. Excellent. Excellent. It all fits. Does it, Frisbee? Yes. I couldn't have done it better myself. What do you mean? The perfect build-up to the confession. Sort of like my handling of Death Rides a Pogo Stick, don't you think, Jerry? Yeah. Sue's lying, Mr. North. He didn't kill Bud. He couldn't have. Why not? Well, he... Well, I, I mean, he's just not the type. I mean, I know him. I... Oh, dear, I don't know what I mean. I tell you, I killed Bud. Then I suppose you stole the letter, too. What letter? About Shirley's fight with Bud. Okay, as long as you know about it anyway, it doesn't make any difference. Here. Here it is. Let's see it. Here you are. Thank you. Is it, Frisbee? Uh-huh. This is it. Now, do you believe me? Oh, Stuart. Miss Anderson, may I use your telephone, please? Oh, yes, of course. Oh, Stu, this isn't like you at all. It positively isn't. What? Going around killing people. Whatever made you do it? Sure, Bud was a stinker, but even so... In fact, he was a terrific stinker. He was... Oh, you know, Stu, I don't blame oh, you. Oh, stop it, Shirley. Hello, Bill. I thought I'd be able to get you at Barnes' apartment. Us? Well, we're at a Miss Anderson. Well, I know I said we'd stay there, but... But, Bill. But, Bill. He's angry. Well, Bill, you don't understand. We have the murderer for you. What's that? You don't say. Okay, well, we'll wait here anyway. Yes, honestly, we won't budge until you get here. Okay, so long. Well, what do you know? I don't know, Jerry. What do you know? 
I told Bill we'd caught the murderer. Yes. Well, he said, so has he. Huh? Excellent. A nice twist, a very nice twist. There now, Stu, I told you it wasn't you. Who was it, Mr. North? Harvey Hollis. Oh, no. Oh, yes. That's why you had the fight with Bud, Miss Anderson. You had jilted him for Mr. Hollis. What's that? Miss Anderson jilted Bud for Hollis, and Bud threatened to kill Hollis. Hollis has admitted that much. No, no, it's not true. So Hollis must have killed Bud in self-protection. Bill's holding him. He says he has proof Hollis is the murderer. What a fool. What a complete and absolute fool. Who? Me. To think that... Oh, what? There he goes. Hey, wait a minute. He's getting away, Jerry. We've got to stop him. Come on. Oh, dear. He knows we're following him. He's speeding. Yeah. Drive it. Don't let him get away. He turned the corner. So did we. Oh, golly. Uh, exciting, but sort of pointless, don't you think? Not if we want to catch pain. But do we? What do you mean, Frisbee? Of course we do. You see, Frisbee, Hollis didn't really kill Bud. Oh, I know that. The dog driver, a car just cut in in front of us. Jerry. Jerry, are you all right? Yes, darling. Are you? I, I, I don't know. Uh, oh, okay, Jerry. You win. What do I win? My surrender. Unconditional. I'm a man of deep sensitivity. Auto crashes. Bangs on the belfry. Not for me. Have your bill arrest me. What's the third degree compared to this? Oh, don't worry, Frisbee. He won't arrest uh, you. Because we know who the murderer is now. So do I. But the police won't believe it. I think they will, Frisbee. If we ever stand still long enough for them to get to us. Well, Mr. Payne's gotten away, so I guess the thing for us to do is to go back to Miss Anderson's and wait for Bill there. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope he'll listen to you. Because I'm kind of allergic to being beaten with a rubber hose. Anderson, we've come back. Oh, that's too bad. Thank you. I mean, Lieutenant Wagon will be very angry. Well, why? We told him we'd meet him here. I know, but you didn't. You mean he's been here? Oh, yes. Where did he go? Out looking for you. Well, maybe we'd better go look for him. Round and round we go. Oh, no, we don't. We're staying here, if Miss Anderson doesn't object. Not at all. Not at all. Come in. Thank you. Come in and sit down and tell me all about it. Who did it? It couldn't be Harvey, you know. That's absurd. Besides, Harvey had nothing to do with my breaking off with Bud. I know that, Miss Anderson. Bill didn't say anything about Harvey. I just made that up to see what Payne would do. What did he do? Didn't you see? He ran away. But where did he go? We don't know. He got away. Well, it doesn't matter anyway, because he's not the murderer. Oh, good. But how do you know, Frizzy? Well, it's obvious. He only confessed to protect you. Why, how romantic. Are you sure? Well, of course. That's the way it's always done. Always? In his stories. But then, who really killed Bud? Well, well you he... see... Oh, sorry, sorry Pat. There's, There's only, only one, one person who would... Uh... <laughs> sorry, Pat. Oh, that's all right, Frisbee. What were you going to say? What was I going to say? I, I, I was just going to tell her the name of the murderer. It's Cuthbert Willis. Who? Cuthbert Willis. Who's he? A little man who claims he saw me kill Bud. What makes you think it was Mr. Willis, Frisbee? Well, it's simple. Nothing points to him. What do you mean? The least suspicious character, don't you see? Oh, Frisbee. I hate to disappoint you again, old man, but I'm afraid it isn't Willis. It must be. No, 
Well, that means Shirley. Really, Percy, really. No gentleman would accuse a girl of murder in her own parlor, even if it were true, which it isn't. Well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. It wasn't my idea. No, mine. But, Jerry, you said... I said it wasn't Willis. But that only leaves Shirley and Stewart. And don't you agree that his confession was just to protect her? Of course he confessed to protect her. Well, he's obviously in love with her. Well, that's just the point. I don't get it. Well, as I see it, Payne was so much in love with Miss Anderson that he killed the man she was engaged to in order to be able to have her for himself. Not knowing that she'd already had a fight with a fiancé. Then when he found out about the fight... And found there were letters proving there had been a fight. He had to get those letters to keep her from being accused of the murder. And then when that didn't work... He was willing to give himself up rather than to see her arrested. Then the confession was on the level? That's right, Frisbee. Huh. Interesting twist. I'll have to try that sometime. But if it's Stuart Payne, how are we going to catch him? He's already made his getaway. Well, perhaps he'll be back. I'm afraid not. Well, Frisbee, if this were one of your stories, he'd walk in just about now with a gun in his hand. Oh, no. I'd never use that. Why not? Boy, it'd be too convenient. It'd seem contrived. Would it, Frisbee? Stu. Yes, it's me. And as you see, I have the gun, too. That's what I went for. Unbelievable. No, it isn't, Frisbee. And it isn't contrived. I sort of had an idea he'd be back. Yes, you're right. I am back. Surely I loved you. I'd have done anything for you. I'd have stolen for you. I'd have killed for you. I did kill for you. What did I get out of it? First it was Bud, and now Harvey. No, Stu, that's not true. Mr. North just made up that story about Harvey. I don't believe it. It's so. I just wanted to see what you'd do. You can't fool me. I know her. She never loved me. She never will. Well, all right, I'll fix her. I'll kill her. No, Stuart. Mr. Payne, look out behind you. Jerry, quick. Wait. Stop that gun. Mr. North, you knocked him off. Hold the phone. I'll get it. Oh, this is too much. This is positively too much. What's the matter, Frisbee? Oh, it's bad enough that my perfect murder failed and the confession was on the level and the murderer shows up right on cue. But for you to get the gun away from it with that oldie lookout behind you. Oh, 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 Pam. No, no, no. Mr. North, that was Lieutenant Wigand on the phone. He wanted to know where you were. I told him you were back here again. But didn't he want to talk to us? No. He said he doesn't like to use that kind of language on the telephone. Well, darling, Payne has confessed again to the police this time. Well, I hope Frisbee believes him this time. Well, I hope so, too. He should have believed him the first time, as soon as he saw the letter. Well, of course he should have. Mr. Payne pretended that he didn't know anything about the murder until we told him. But he stole the letter before we told him. That's right. That clinched it. Yes, darling. Oh, oh poor Frisbee. Nothing worked out the way he'd have done it. Well, maybe we can give him his ending at least. What's that, dear? Well, at this point in all of his adventures of Mr. and Mrs. Wallaby, Mr. and Mrs. Wallaby retire. <laughs> for supplying us with tonight's bedtime story in the Mystery Playhouse. See, I hear that your entries for the Globe Theater radio playwriting contest are coming in prime. My friend Herbert Marshall, director of the Globe Theater, asked me if I wouldn't say something about the length of the scripts. Your script should take about 25 to 27 minutes to play, including 
All allowances for sound effects and music bridges. This should mean about 25 to 27 double-spaced typewritten pages. Mr. Marshall wanted me to emphasize that it's better to write them long than short. For any additional information you need about the Globe Theater Contest, write to the station or to contest editor, Armed Forces Radio, Los Angeles, USA. Well, we better start down to the green room right away or we'll be linked for the preview performance of our next mystery playhouse attraction. Follow me, please. Mr. Joyce, why do you speak to me this way? After all, Mr. Joyce, I'm not a criminal. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. No. 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 I'm sorry. All right, try it out. Don't, don't let them hang me, please. Will don't. you pull yourself together, please? Just give me time. Just give me some time and let me think. I was Mrs. Crosby. Oh, I'll come no. back later. No. No, don't leave me. But I... Well? Well, Mrs. Crosby? Well, they... Well, whoever has the original letter, Sally? Why, yes, I think so. Who has it? Well, a Chinese woman who's living in Hammond Park. The Chinese woman. Does she want very much for it? Maybe she wants a very large sum. Mr. Joyce, are you going to let them hang me because of a paltry sum of money? What? Now, you think it's so simple as all that to secure possession of that letter? Why, you have no right to make any such suggestion to me. Well, then what will happen to me? Well, you should have thought of that before. Justice must take its course. Oh, please, Mr. Joyce, please. I'm putting myself in your hands. I know that I have no right to ask you to do anything that isn't proper, but you must do everything you can to help me. Mr. Joyce, you're my counsel. Now, who else will help me? You've got to. You've got to help me, Mr. Joyce. Now, please. I'm getting down on my Mrs. knees. Mrs. Crosby, please, to... stop it. Could your husband raise the money? Yes, I'm sure he could. Well, you know that he'd have to be told what it was for. Yes, but does he have to see the letter? He's in love with me, Mr. George. He'd make any sacrifice to save me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not well, sure that I... Well, an old friend of yours. Now, I'm not asking you to do anything for me. I'm asking you to save a rather simple, kind man who never did you any harm from, from all the pain that's possible. Mrs. Crosby. All right. I'll help you. But on one condition. Yes. Now, you told me the truth about the letter. Now, will you tell me the truth about that night? Oh, yes. Yes, I will. I will. All right. Did you or did you not shoot Hammond in self-defense? Well, of course it was in self-defense. I swear to you, Mr. Joyce, it was in self-defense. Now, you've got to believe me. You must help me. Please, Mr. Joyce, I'm placing my life in your hands. I wouldn't lie to you now. I wouldn't. Very well, Mr. Transit. I, um... I must go now. Mr. Joyce, what are you going to do? Do? I don't know. Yes, Queens. Next time, we are going to go dramatic. Yes.
guess it's one of the classic stories of its kind, written by the fine English author, Somerset Maugham. So be in your seats next time, ready for the curtain on the letter. This is Peter Laurie closing the doors of the Mystery Playhouse. Good night. Good night. Someone ran me down. Later on, they killed an old man who tried to tell me something. My nerves are like radar, and they're sending out all kinds of danger signals. I'm on somebody's list. Whose list, doll girl? Come on, give. The new adventures of Michael Shane, private detective. Michael Shane, reckless, red-headed Irishman, back in his old haunts in New Orleans. Ready, as always, to risk his neck for law, order, and an occasional dollar. Listen now as we bring you the new adventures of Michael Shane. Hello. Michael Shane, private detective. Speaking. Mr. Shane, I have a job for you, but I can't pay you very much. Keep talking, I'm listening. My name is Marina Laurou. I want you to come over to 1612 Wentworth Street. I meet you on the porch. On the porch? Yes, that is why I call you. My father has locked all the doors and windows. He's in the house, sitting in the dark, waiting. Waiting for what? For death, Mr. Shane. Now we return to New Orleans and a new adventure with Michael Shane. on my way across New Orleans to see Marina LaRue, whose papa was waiting for death. The 1612 Wentworth Street was a couple of minutes by cab in ordinary times, but these were not ordinary times, so it was taking me a half hour to walk it. Yeah, this had been a bad month for little Mike. Police headquarters had suspended my license for 60 days for being a stunk. But even stunks have stomachs and creditors. That last buck in my wallet was so lonely it was getting psychoneurotic. So, license or no license, I wasn't letting Marina LaRue get away. Just like she said, she was waiting on the porch, and she was some baby doll. Creole from way back, and round and ripe like a cantaloupe busting its seams. Only I'd been living on shredded wheat and canned milk for so long, all Marina LaRue meant to me then was ham and eggs and pork chops, and maybe pie a la mode. Mr. Shane. Yeah. Oh. I'm so glad you're here. I'm half out of my mind. I don't want to call the police if nothing is really wrong. Hey, hey, slow down, slow down. Your your father's inside the house? Yes. 
He has been in there for the last eight days, just sitting in his room in the dark. Like I said, waiting for death. What's the matter? Is he sick? No. He's as healthy as you or I. That's why I don't understand. Tonight, he won't even let me in the house. He has locked all the doors and the windows. I, I don't know what to think. Well, I think we ought to tap a brick against one of those windows and have a talk with Papa. Yes. Yeah, but first I ought to tell you that I... I break windows and talk to Papas who wait for death for something more than the sheer joy of it. For something like 20 bucks a day. You, uh, you understand that, of course. I told you I'd pay you! Okay. I always like to begin business on a friendly basis. Now, oh, where's that brick? I broke the window, reached in and unlocked it, and then slid over the sill. The house was as black as a mug of G.I. coffee. I found a light switch and clicked it back and forth, but nothing happened. And I let the girl in through the front door. Come on in. What happened to the lights? I don't know. And where is Papa? Yeah. Papa! Papa! They started lighting matches and we wandered through the house. Papa, where are you? A single flare of light cast crazy shadows against the walls and the ceiling. Papa! You got the screwy feeling that the house itself was alive and watching you. Except for our footsteps, there wasn't a sound. Papa, where are you? Oh, my error. Yeah, yeah, there was a sound, all right, coming from the next room down the hall. I felt a nerve deep down inside me start jangling like a burglar alarm. Papa! I knew that sound like I know my heartbeat. We were at the door of the room. I struck another match and the girl saw. Papa! No. No, Papa! No, Papa! He was hanging like a pig in a butcher shop, tied to the chandelier. His head lolled on his shoulder and his eyes stared up at a nothing call. Then suddenly the girl's sobbing ended as though somebody had clamped a hand over her mouth. When she spoke, she sounded like a stranger. Strike another match. A little close to him. Wasn't one look enough? Strike a match. Okay. His forehead. Yeah. yeah. Funny, Mark. Looks like a brand or something. A coiled snake. I should have known. I should have known that's why he was so frightened. That is who he was waiting for. Antony, Kyle. Hey, 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 kid, oh, snap out of it. Hey, what's wrong with you? What are you talking about? Who's Corel? Kyle? I didn't say. I didn't. I, I hey, didn't hey, say hey, I... hey, hey. To call the police. Tell them my father committed suicide. And then go away. I did what the lady said. I called the cops, collected my 20 bucks, and beat it. Because if the police found me working without a license, they might send me to bed without supper. And with 20 bucks, I was once again a man of distinction. So I took a cab downtown. On the way, I debated whether to sample Antoine's elegant crawfish or Galatoire's savory bouillabaisse. And I settled for Charlie's hash and beer. Charlie was an ancient, moth-eaten character who kept a basement bar on Deal Street just so he'd have somebody to talk to. And there weren't many customers tonight, and he stayed close to me, polishing the mahogany and looking annoyed. New Orleans, how quaint. Huh? Yeah, that's what they said, how quaint. What are you talking about, Charlie? Tourists, I'm talking about six of them. Came down a while back from Peoria, they said. Just looking, they said. How quaint. All right, quaint pour me they... another one, Charlie. Yeah, okay, okay, Mike. Uh, quaint, they think this is. I should have told them how my place used to be. But the cockfights we had right there in the center of the floor by candlelight. And the 12 ladies from Natchez doing the can-can. Peoria. Charlie. Huh? Did you ever hear of anyone named Anthony Carell? 
Charlie, I'm talking to you. I heard you, Sheen. Well? You better stick to looking through hotel transoms and forget Anthony Carell. Why? Because it's something out of the past. Something that hasn't got any place in this world. What are you talking about? You see, according to the story, there's something special about Anthony Carell. Special? Yeah. He ain't like you and me, Shane. You see, Anthony Carell ain't never gonna die. That tickled me. Oh. I finished my drink, waved goodbye to old Charlie, yelled something about getting Carell's formula and putting Perona out of business, and then I was on my way. The air was better outside, and I decided to walk. It was a nice, quiet street. Great place to start a cemetery. As it turned out, I was just the kid to start one. I didn't hear the car behind me. All I saw was the cab on the next corner. The cab driver was leaning against the open door waiting for me. I stepped off the curb and a couple of... Then I was rolling on cobblestones, watching a red taillight disappear in the distance. Next thing, the, the cab driver was bending over me. You okay, Pally? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, take me home, will you? That sure was close. No, no, I, I just got careless crossing the street. Careless? <laughs> I was watching, Pally. That car followed you for maybe two blocks, waiting to get a chance at you. Huh? Yeah. Somebody in this town don't like you very much, Pally. The cabbie drove Pally home. Between my evening of hilarity and my nosedive in the gutter, I felt kind of rocky. As soon as I got in the room, I flopped down in bed and bid the world good night. But the world wasn't finished with me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Mike, this is Charlie. Oh, yeah, Charlie. Listen to me, boy. Something funny's going on. Yeah, yeah, buddy. They're trying to scare me. But old Charlie's been around too long to scare. Oh, good for old Charlie. You come on over now. I'll tell you what they're up to, boy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, You come sure. on over right away. Okay, okay. You know where I bunk? In the room behind the bar. Just knock on the front door. Uh-huh. I'll let you in. Yeah, yeah. Get here quick as you can. Sure, sure. Sure, Charlie. Sure. The last thing I saw before I fell asleep again was the luminous green dial on my bedside clock. 3.47. It said 10.20 when I saw it again. The room was lousy with sunshine. I was brushing my teeth and trying to avoid my reflection in the mirror when I remember Charlie calling me. I found the phone number of his joint in the book and I called him. Only it wasn't Charlie who answered. Yeah? I want to speak to Charlie. Who is this? Uh, just let me talk to Charlie. Sorry, mister. Charlie isn't here. Well, where is he? They took him to the morgue an hour ago. He's dead. Now, back to New Orleans to the new adventures of Michael Shane. beginning, it hadn't made much sense. Marino LaRue calling me to break into her father's house. Him hanging from the chandelier with a snake brand on his forehead. And now, old Charlie dead. Well, I, I went down to the morgue. The attendant took me to the basement where Charlie was on a table. 
Lieutenant Burns of headquarters is just taking a peek. Nasty, a redhead. Yeah. Yeah, necks of bum sheep for a butcher man. What's that on his forehead? Hmm? Looks like a brand. Like a coiled snake. I probably banged his head. It's nothing. Now, you want a bet, Lieutenant? Hey, look, Shane, what are you doing around here? You're not forgetting that your license is suspended. Oh, a guy can get in here without a license? Look at Charlie. All he had was a license to sell bad booze. You're not doing any work for anybody? No. No, I'm just keeping in training. Come on, be a good boy, redhead. You've only got a couple of weeks to go. Then it'll be legal for you to start bothering us. Burns, tell me about Anthony Carell. Who? Sometimes called the, uh, the deathless one. Oh, my back. Don't tell me that's going around again. Well, what about him? Ah, that's what I love about this town. No matter how modern it may look on the outside, underneath it's still a jungle. Still dancing to voodoo drums. Voodoo? Yeah, every so often some scared sucker comes in and whispers in our ears that Anthony Carell is still alive and terrifying the countryside. When we ask him for one teeny little bit of proof, the little sucker vanishes in a puff of smoke. Anthony Carell. Oh, redhead, you can do better than that. Yeah, when I got outside on Jackson Street, it did seem kind of silly. What was so silly about that car trying to run me down last night? What was so silly about Charlie under a white sheet in the basement of that morgue? Oh, I had enough questions in my head to start a quiz show, but not enough answers to win a yo-yo. I knew a good place to ask questions, though. And I had to start asking questions fast. Something was happening, something big, and it was happening to me. I took a cab out to the Brownstone house on Wentworth Street, where all this began. Come on, you're going to have to open up sometime, baby doll. Ah. Please, go away, Mr. Shane. In a little while, Marina, honey. Please, I'm in mourning. Have some respect. Sure, I'll take off my hat. Inside. What do you want? Why are you so scared? I'm not scared. Tell that to the little nerve in your cheek. It's twitching overtime. Look, I want to know about Anthony Carell. No, please, no. Yes, please, yes. Mr. Shane, I was rather glad when I saw you come up the stairs. Yeah? Yes, really I was. I have had trouble forgetting you, Michael. Uh-uh, dog girl. Turn off the warm water. I'd love to, but I can't. How about Anthony Carell? Why do you bother with something that does not concern you? That's just it, dog girl. It concerns me clear up to here. Last night, somebody tried to run me down. Later on, they killed an old man who wanted to tell me something. Look, I've been in this business a long time. My nerves are like radar, and they're sending out all kinds of danger signals. I'm on somebody's list. Oh, I'm not one of those storybook detectives, dog girl. I've got to know what I'm fighting. I cannot help you. You've got to. No. Okay. Mind if I use the phone? Who are you calling? The Daily Bulletin. I got a pal working in the city room. I'm going to tell him Marino LaRue of 1612 Wentworth Street says Anthony Carell was responsible for the death of her father. Uh-huh. Bulletin, let me speak to Fraser in the city room. You give me the phone? No. Oh, you can't do this. They kill me. I'm fighting for my own neck, honey. Hello. Hello, Fraser. This is Mike Shane. Hey, I think I got a story I for you. I tell you what, tell you. Goodbye, Fraser. I tell you, and you go out, try to do something about it, the way men have done for a hundred years. And if they find you at all, they find branded into your flesh the coiled snake, the mask of Anthony Carell, just as they have found it on all the others. Who is this guy, Anthony Carell? You have heard of Madame Lorette? Madame Lorette? Sure, wasn't she supposed to be some kind of big shot in the voodoo racket around New Orleans? She was the voodoo queen more than a 
century ago. Yeah. In the 1820s, she married another voodoo worshiper, a man already old, who'd come to New Orleans from Haiti. He was the greatest of them all. His name was Anthony Kyle. And this guy who's causing all the trouble today, he's his descendant, huh? Descendant, you fool, don't you understand? It is the same man. But that couldn't be. Why do you think we're all in such terror of him? He cannot die. Do you know what that means? Hey, hey, take it easy. He cannot die. His food has been poisoned. Cows he was riding in have been shot at. Once the house he was staying in was dynamited. Men stood at every door with guns. But in less than a week, the plotters were dying one by one. And on their foreheads, the snake branded Anthony Kyle. That's crazy. That is the story, Mr. Shane. Believe it. Don't believe it as you wish. What does this big shot look like? No living man has ever seen his face. There are no pictures. And who takes care of him? The Carroll clan, one generation after another. Today, there are only two left. One, Philippe. They do Anthony Carroll's work. Collect his tribute. One and Philippe. Where do they live? I don't know. I don't know. I've told you everything I know. What else do you want, Mr. Shane? What else do you want? What else do I want? A little while ago, you said you had trouble forgetting me. Well? Come here, doll girl. I don't want you to forget it. After I left Marina, I went to the library and spent half a day looking up the old history books of New Orleans. Madame Lorette and Anthony Carell were in every one. And every book agreed that Madame had died in 1845. There was no mention of Anthony Carell ever having died at all. I called an old guy I knew over at the Bureau of Records. I told him I was looking for the death certificate of one Anthony Carell. He laughed over the phone, asked me if I was falling for that old story. But three hours later, he called me back. Yeah? Shane, this is the Bureau of Records. Well? You were right. There is no death certificate for Anthony Carell. I had a couple of drinks after that. Then I started walking the streets. My head throbbed. Felt like a guy trapped in a nightmare, trying with all his might to wake up out of it. Around midnight, I found a small park near Jackson Square and sat down on a bench trying to think of an answer. May I sit down, Mr. Shane? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, how come you know my name? Oh, you are a very famous man, Mr. Shane. Known particularly for your tenacity. Cigarette? Thanks. What do you want? Mr. Shane, it's very unfortunate that you saw fit to interest yourself in Anthony Carell. Oh? Why? Because now I must kill you. I felt the bullet smash against me. But at first there was so little pain, that same crazy feeling of maybe it's a dream came back. I lunged for the guy trying to get hold of his gun hand. Like wrestling with an octopus, he was soft and wet-skinned, and a neat little fellow. He even wore cologne. It was slipping out of my reach. I jumped up and started running. Said the prayer that came to my mind: Catholic, Hebrew, Episcopalian. Who cared? I saw a row of shrubbery had dived in. And that bullet had been real, all right. My side was beginning to ache like a whole mouthful of sore teeth. My friend with the gun came so close to the brush I could smell his sweet, stinking cologne. I remembered a couple of other prayers. Something must have worked. A siren started sobbing the blues far off, and the guy beat it. He climbed into a little black coupe parked at the curb. Pulled away, but he was playing it very safe. There was a long stoplight at the corner, and he waited for every second of it. A nice, law-abiding, perfumed young man. 
There was a parking lot half a block down the street. I ran for it. As I ducked in, I saw the light on the corner change. The black coat down Canal Street. I hopped into the first car and turned on the ignition. A sleepy-eyed attendant came out of a little shed, and I kicked the starter. Hey, got your ticket, mister! Hey, come back! I wasn't so law-abiding. I went down side streets like somebody lit a fuse. Yeah, just like in the movies, except my, my side hurt, my shirt felt sticky and warm, and sick to my stomach. When I was sure no cops were following me, I cut back to Canal Street, and pretty soon I saw the black coupe again, still obeying all the laws. Now we're on the outskirts of town, along the wharves that reached out into the gulf. The black coupe picked up speed. I picked up speed. Oh, it was a long ride through a little country road that stretched through the bayous. Once I managed to slip my hand into my shirt, made the happy discovery my wound felt a lot worse than it really was. Yeah, and I had another good break. In the dashboard compartment, I found a pint of bourbon that had hardly been touched. Oh, I touched it good. It was almost as fine as a blood transfusion. And then before I knew it, the black coupe had turned into a driveway. I went on a few hundred yards, pulled up under some trees and turned the lights off. It was a battered, weather-beaten farmhouse, standing all by itself in the middle of nothing. The windows were boarded up. Everything about it said nobody home except the black coupe. I snuck around the back. The screen door was open. I walked across a porch and almost knocked over a row of milk bottles. I tried the back door. The door was open. Oh, no, I wasn't having any. You didn't have to be a quiz kid to know what this setup was. I started back across the porch. I reached the screen door and then I stopped. The only sound in all the world was a mosquito buzzing like mad in the darkness. Hey, Shane, where are you going? Oh, I, I realized I'd said that out loud. And it giggled to myself. I rubbed my head. It, it was hot. That, that bullet hole. Maybe I was already getting delirious. Yeah. yeah but where was I going? Back to little New Orleans? For what? The cops wouldn't listen to me. To them, I was just a big-nosed redhead out for a quick buck. And my sweet-smelling friend had slipped up twice now. I went back to town, he'd come after me again, and he was just about due for the jackpot. Oh. Well, there was no place to go except inside the house. I picked up one of the milk bottles. Me and my homogenized blackjack. I went back to the door. Pushed it open. Went into the kitchen. Everything dark. I could just make out some dishes on the sink. The place smelled of bad, greasy cooking. Then I found another door. Now I was in a short hallway that led to a flight of stairs. Not a sound at all. Oh, I'd even been glad to hear that mosquito. Stairs. Started up a step at a time. Slow. Easy. Slow. Close to the top, there was something about the darkness that looked wrong. Real close to me, I smelled sweet cologne. I spun around and started down the stairs fast, but it was all wasted. At the foot of the stairs, a cigarette glowed in the dark. I was boxed in real nice. The guy downstairs spoke first. So this is Mr. Shane Wan. Yes, this is him, Philippe. Juan and Philippe. The brothers Carell. And where is old man Anthony? You have come for Anthony. Well, he is in the last room at the end of the hall, but I don't think you will reach him. I think you are going to die on those stairs. Keep coming up the steps, Mr. Shane. Yeah. Yeah, sure. How's this? Oh, look out! 
I launched at him. There was a swirl of cologne. I brought the milk bottle down hard and worn, crumpled on the floor, nice as you please. Behind me, I heard Philippe coming up after me. I raced down the hall. I tried the first door. Locked. The second door. Oh, locked. The third door was unlocked. I opened it and slammed it shut behind me. I snapped the lock. Oh, friend Philippe was at the door breaking through. I did the first thing that came to my mind. I picked up a chair and smashed it through the window. And then I ducked into a corner as the door flung open. Philippe came into the room holding his gun. He headed straight for the broken window. He stood looking out of it into the darkness for a long time. back was to me. I started for him. My side was throbbing again. My throat was so dry you could have struck matches on it. Something must have warned Philippe. He started turning around. I brought the milk bottle down hard. He staggered, fell to his knees, got up and started clawing at my legs. I went into a deep purple fog. When I came out of it, Philippe was very quiet. The milk bottle was broken into a thousand pieces. I... I sat down on a chair. I felt about as peppy as a Floridora girl. And then I remembered. Anthony Carell, the man who couldn't die, was down the hall. I went over to Philippe and dug around until I found his gun. He groaned a little bit, but that's all. I went back out into the hall. The last room at the end of the hall. I started toward it. Then in front of the door, I saw one. I will not let you in this room. He wasn't able to stand up. He was on his knees in front of the door, and his mouth hung open as though he didn't have the strength to close it. For five generations, he has been our strength. With him, we've been able to rule everyone. I will not let you destroy him. Then I saw the gun in his hand. I saw him try to raise it. I shot three times. He collapsed in a heap. Even while dying, he wasn't going to let me into that room. As I reached for the knob, with his last strength, Juan flung his arm up and wildly tried to block me. What was there in that room that a guy would die like this just to protect? I reached for the knob and raised my gun. I entered the room, slowly, looked around. Then I realized why Juan and Felipe had tried so hard to keep me out of here. Then I realized why Anthony Carell would not die, why he could not be killed. There was no Anthony Carell. The room was empty. Yeah. Yeah, that was the story of Anthony Carell. He'd lived and died in his own time just as any man. But the Carell clan, knowing the power of fear, had made it appear that the old man was still alive and kicking. Oh, I wonder how many people go through life being afraid of empty rooms. Well, as soon as I got back to town that night, I went to the emergency hospital and had myself pasted together. Then I called on Marina LaRue. I told her all about Anthony Carell. When I finished, she didn't say a word. Just came over and looked at me a long time, and she kissed me. After a while, I began to realize that trip to the hospital was wasted. Marino was so much better than penicillin. <laughs> Oh, 
Come on, winter, spring or fall. 